Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Well, is it you who guides the conversation? Why don't we wait and see how much input you've got to share with us today? Wonderful to be here Thursday afternoon. It's Fresh Thinking time. Welcome aboard. This is the place where we try and get ourselves to think a little out of the box, laterally, spiritually, transcendentally, I don't know, all the nice big words that people might want to use to express living differently. So that's what we do. We get together, we collaborate, we put our heads together, we ask questions, we try and answer them, we try and explore things from a fresh perspective. That's what we call it, fresh thinking. And you are in the driver's seat just as much as I am. So I'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts any time through the course of the show or any thoughts about what we should talk about in the future on the show. You can always message via SMS on 34519. You can send us a message on Telegram 0618951019. And social media is always a good place of engagement. The Facebook page of Chai FM, otherwise Twitter at Chai FM, at Rabbi Shish. Now, I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if you saw it, but this Sunday is supposed to be like a really big deal. Big things happening this Sunday. I don't know if you saw this. And if you didn't see it, it's incredible how big things can sometimes come in small packages, which is exactly the case this Sunday. This Sunday, we're looking to achieve something really massive in an incredibly small amount of time. And it's an effort that includes every one of us like you to be part of it as much as they want me to be part of it right it's an initiative across the world we're going to talk about that today before that though how's about we have a look just for a brief moment at the significance of the date in history not today's date so much tomorrow's date very important date on the jewish calendar it will be the 7th of adar that is both the birth date and the yard site of the greatest jewish leader ever moshe rabbeinu moses himself in fact it's a big deal the fact that his birthday and yard site coincide it's one of the things that led to the miracle of the purim story believe it or not yes of course it's just a week before purim so you might think what's the link to the purim story you're getting ahead of yourself it's a week to go but the Talmud tells us that when Haman was trying to work out which would be the most appropriate month to attack the Jews, he thought this one, Adar, because their greatest leader died in this month. He didn't realize that's not how it works with such powerful souls. And so it turns out the fact that Moses was born is more compelling and more powerful than the fact that he passed away. And so ever since, this is a day of incredible goodness, brocha, and so on and so forth. As we'll talk about a little bit later, it's also a day that the Hebra Kaddisha, those who are responsible to look after those who have passed, it's a special day for them too, and it's a day of fasting, followed by a special feast as well. So that's the date. I uh, just wanted to bring that to your attention. It's not the main conversation today. The main conversation is you may have seen, and if you haven't seen, well, then we're just not doing a good enough job of getting the word out there. But you may have seen that this Sunday there's an initiative that was started by a group of women in the United States. I believe they're in the United States. could be that there are a few countries together. But there's a group of women who got together and said, enough is enough. Really, it's been a year of this, of this COVID. It's been a year of lockdowns and mistrust of your own friends and family and economic pressure and all the other scandalous things that have gone on around the coronavirus, it's enough. It's really enough. There are certain times in history where we're up against the wall 
And we have the opportunity to pray even more than any other time. And it's a matter of using that opportunity. Everybody's feeling vulnerable. Everybody feels that we need some kind of a solution. So let's go out and pray. And that's what these women did. And they came up with an idea that this Sunday, the uh, what is it, the 21st, at 6 p.m. Israel time, which is convenient for us because it's South African time as well, we should all get together for a minute and we should pray to Hashem, we should pray to God to send Mashiach. Now, I know straight away, as soon as you hear that, you're going to get a range of responses. It's just the way it is. Some people are going to respond to that and say, wow, beautiful. Isn't that exactly how Jewish people should think? That in times of crisis, we use the energy of the crisis, the emotion attached to that crisis to appeal to God. And not just to appeal to God to, quote unquote, as everybody says, Let's go back to normal. No, we don't just want to go back to normal. Let's use this as an opportunity to achieve something that has never yet been achieved in history. Let's get Mashiach. Let's get the ultimate emancipation from all of our sorrows, all kinds of problems that might ever have happened or might ever happen. <clears throat> so some people think, yes, this is what we need. Why did they wait so long? Why have we only come up with this idea now? And I'm pretty certain that on the other side of the argument, you'll have people saying, yeah, whatever. Heard this, been there, done that. Jews have been on with the Mashiach story forever, actually. Ever since Jews were made into Jews, this is what we've been talking about, promising our children, praying for, singing emotional, moving songs. And nothing happened. Nothing's happened. So what do you think? Now suddenly you're going to get a group of people together and they're going to, who knows how many people will participate on Sunday. Right? I'm pretty sure that the intention of the people who started this was that every Jew on the planet should do it. It's not so simple. I can tell you from having been involved over Hanukkah with that project to get a million people to join together for a Hanukkah thing. It's not so simple. It's not so simple to get a whole lot of people all on the same page at the same time asking for the same thing. But let's even say that they succeed. And again, honestly, I, I can imagine a whole lot of people rolling their eyes right now and saying, yeah, whatever. It's, uh, it's same old, same old. It's this hope that keeps the Jewish people sane, the hope of the fictional Moshiach that's going to come at some point. And it's nice to always have a naive, idealistic group of people who are going to chase their tail and try to bring Moshiach. So I thought we should talk about it because I think it's easy to be cynical. It doesn't make you right just because a person takes a view of things that, ah, come on, who believes that stuff anyway? Really, I can assure you now that if you would wind the clock back and go to, I don't know, let's say October 2019, even November, right? That was really when the first cases. You would speak to somebody in October 2019 and tell them that there was a possibility of an illness that would shut down the world. They'd say, are you kidding? We're living in the 21st century. There is no way we have the science to detect it. We have the science to treat it. It, it, it. It's not possible that something should shut the whole world. Even the greatest epidemics of the previous uh, generations could only shut down one sector of the world. Well, guess what? Just because a person doesn't believe that something could be does not mean that it isn't. It's an old Hasidic story about these fellows who had gone to visit their Rebbe, or they were on their way to visit their Rebbe, and they're sitting in the wagon, these Hasidim, these followers of their Rebbe, they're sitting in the wagon, traveling to visit their Rebbe, and obviously, it's a, it's going to be a really spiritual encounter. So they decide they want to discuss spiritual things. And they have a conversation about angels. What do the mystical texts say about angels? What are the different roles of different angels? What are the different capacities? Which angels are more spiritual, less spiritual, and so on and so forth. Very deep, as you can imagine, very deep discussion. 
Meanwhile, as they're steeped in their discussion, the wagon driver is pushing the horses to keep galloping as fast as possible because he knows that as soon as they arrive at the destination, he's going to get some money for having taken the, his guests. So they're going to get to the destination and they're going to go to their rebbe and it's going to be a huge spiritual experience. He's going to reach the destination. He's going to get money in his pocket, which he can take to the tavern and he can buy himself a drink. And the horses know that when they get to the destination, that as far as they're concerned, the entire purpose of the journey is only to get to the destination where there's going to be hay and they'll be able to eat the hay. So the Hasidic take on this story is just because the horses are horses does not mean that the angels are not angels. Just because a person might live in a reality, we cannot perceive things that are not tangible and, 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 and in my world, or just if a person, in this particular the particular parable, if a person is so materialistic, does not mean the spiritual things don't exist. Just because I choose to be cynical does not mean that it is impossible for there to be a concept of Mashiach. So I'd like to talk about it. I'd love to hear what you think. If you think Mashiach is realistic, if you think it's overblown, whatever it is that you think about Mashiach, let's share it. 34519 by SMS. You could also send a telegram message, 061-895-1019. Otherwise, use social media. You know where to find us, at Rabbi Shish, at Chai FM. Chai FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, uh, yeah, so funny. So funny how people are... Even though you don't necessarily know who is going to say it, you know that someone's going to say it <laughs> in some form or another. So here's uh, Sean on Twitter who says that the last time I can recall davening for Mashiach with real focused intention was on the eve of my matric maths final. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of a story. There's a story they tell about, again, in the shtetl back in the, in the old days in Europe. And there was a fellow who was a wealthy man, a big businessman. Many people did business with him. And, um, you know, turns out at one point something went wrong and the guy lost everything. And any person who had invested with him also lost everything. Except for Yankel. Yankel was the only guy who came out unscathed. didn't lose a thing. And everybody went over to your uncle and they said, well, what did you know that we didn't know? What kind of insider trading? What information did you have at your fingers? Like, how is it possible? We all invested in this guy and we lost so much money and you didn't. And your uncle said, you have to realize, I sit next to this fellow at shul. And I noticed a few weeks ago that he was praying for Mashiach to come with a fervor that I had never seen before. Immediately I realized that his business must be in serious trouble if he is praying so hard for Mashiach. And so I sold my shares and got out. So it's unfortunate, right? And unfortunate that for many people, we, we perceive Moshiach simply as the, in case of emergency break glass. You know, if things get really, really bad, then you're going to have to get Moshiach. <laughs> and that's probably why at the moment it resonates more than usual with a lot of people because things are really bad. And there doesn't seem to be as much hope on the horizon as we would have expected, as we would have liked to have seen. So you get it. You understand why it is that people are pushing for Mashiach. If we think that Mashiach is some kind of a an emergency escape hatch to get us out of trouble, well, firstly, we wouldn't really be understanding what Mashiach is all about. And secondly, you can appreciate then why people would be a little bit cynical because 
you know, come on, bad things happen in life. And it's just a way of keeping people psychologically on board by promising them that something's going to happen that's going to resolve it all for them. And it's not necessarily um, realistic. So I think many people feel that way. Here you've got this prayer coming up on Sunday. Uh, somebody actually asked over here on the Twitter feed, can I post the prayer? I don't know if there is a prayer that you're supposed to say or if it's just like your own words or, uh, you know, however it is. But either way, it's, uh, you know, you can understand there's this push because we're in crisis. We're in difficult times. And I think that's the first misunderstanding that people have about Moshiach is that it's a response to crisis. That it's a way to get us out of the worst period of our history or all the difficulties and challenges that we have. Now, that's all true. Don't get me wrong. It is true. That is what Moshiach achieves. But let's distinguish between what Moshiach achieves and what the purpose of Moshiach is. So that's really important. There's basically two things I think we should talk about over here today. We should talk about the fact that um, it is that Moshiach is more than just an emergency assist. And we should also talk a little bit about the uh, the concept of what's, you know, why now? Why this obsession now? Is it just because of coronavirus? Is it just because we we are desperate? So we'll take anything. We'll even take this fantastical idea of a messianic figure. Like, is that really what it's all about? And the two do go hand in hand, by the way. The idea of what Mashiach is really about, and then the identifying of when you know that you're living in the time that is the messianic age, you can't do the one without the other, right? You've got to actually know what it's all about. So, I guess you've got to start like any other story right at the beginning, right? People think that the messianic concept was invented by the rabbis when life started to get difficult. And that's why people think that it's just a response to crisis. So when there was the destruction of the temple and the diaspora, suddenly we need to do something urgently. Hello, we've got to do something. So we come up with Moshiach. But it's not the case at all. In fact, if you go back and you have a look at classic sources, original sources, you immediately start to see some interesting facts. Besides what our sages tell us, that the second verse of the entire Torah is speaking about Mashiach. Now, most people don't realize that, but you have a look and it says that in the beginning there was darkness and uh, there was chaos and there were the depths of whatever depths there were at that time. And then it says that there was the spirit of God floating, hovering, over the waters. And the sages immediately identified that that spirit refers to the spirit of Mashiach. So that's interesting because that means at least from a perspective of our original rabbis, our ancient rabbis, Mashiach is there embedded right at the beginning of the story. But then you'll argue that the rabbis made that up, right? So let's continue the story a little further. We get through the process of creation. And then we arrive at a point, a very interesting point that I don't think people pay enough attention to. And that is the point where Adam and Eve are created, yes, and placed in a, an environment called Gan Eden, a garden, the Garden of Eden. And everybody, as soon as you say Garden of Eden, everybody has a picture in their mind, <laughs> uh, the, you know, a picture probably of some kind of a forest-like environment with many, many trees. And in the center of it all, there's this tree that has uh, some kind of unique fruit. You probably, when you think of Garden of Eden, you probably have a picture of Adam and Eve hiding behind a bush somewhere. You probably also have a picture of a snake wrapped around a tree. Now, all of that, of course, speaks to the story, the event that happened in the Garden of Eden. None of that really describes much about the garden itself. And you have to ask yourself the question, 
That is the original state of this world, this Garden of Eden. And of course, if it's the original state, that means that that's an inkling as to, in, into how God sees the way the world should be. God's plan for the world. You know, it's often the case. Think about if you're doing a construction project. So first you show everybody the artist's rendition of how you want it to look at the end of the project. Or in today's world, you get somebody to render a beautiful 3D walkthrough. So before you launch the project, you show people what the objective of the project is supposed to look like, what you hope the project will be at the end. And then you get to all the multiple intermediate steps which develop the actual project itself. But you always start with the render of what it's supposed to look like. Now, anybody who thinks that Hashem dropped the first humans into the Garden of Eden and hoped that they would stay there blissfully, and then they wrecked everything by eating the forbidden fruit because they took advice from this slithering uh, seducer, and, and God's plan was stymied and foiled. Well, let's be honest, that really makes no sense for a variety of reasons, not least of which is, God set this all up. He put them and he put the snake there. And I don't know how large the Garden of Eden was, but certainly large enough to keep the snake out of sight for at least a few days. Right? Snakes usually get out of the way when people start walking around, stomping their feet in a place. So it's, it's not that simple. It's not that uh, we foiled God's great, vast, eternal plan. It's actually part of the plan that, uh, you know, that we should, we humans, should mess things up and have to get kicked out of the garden. But what's most important is the fact that that's the template. That's the render of what the world is meant to look like. So whatever it is that you think about the messianic concept, what we know clearly is that right from the beginning, the picture of the end was presented as beautiful, idyllic, and this garden. And yes, people tend to think that Gun Aden, the Garden of Eden, was a location on earth, and then Adam and Eve were kicked out of that location. It's not the case. It was a, a it was a, a level of awareness on earth. And then they lost that level of awareness. Okay. So that's uh, maybe our first little glimpse and inkling. I'd like to ask you, firstly, do you think that the messianic ideal, the concept of Moshiach, is really important in Judaism? Question two, do you think that it's possible that we could be living through the messianic period i'd like to hear what you think i'm sure people do have views on this three four five one nine that's the sms line on twitter at high fm and at rabbi shish you can use the high fm facebook page or oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine four telegram those are the ways to connect now, uh, they are there for us in the very worst of times. They step in to assist us when life has ended. They are the cemetery workers, the men and women of the Hebra Kadisha Jewish Helping Hand and Burial Society. Over the last year, their service was more essential than ever. They are the unsung heroes, and we want to change that. The 7th of Adar, Zion Adar, is the day in which the community traditionally acknowledges and appreciates the service of our cemetery workers. This year, you can help honor these heroes by sending them happiness in a box, Shabbos meals and gifts for Shabbos the 19th of February, which is the Shabbos that follows straight after the 7th of Adar. So Zion Adar, the 7th is tomorrow, and then this is a program for the Shabbos. Honor our heroes by sponsoring a box or part of a box. For details, visit our website, www.chaifm.com. 
honor our heroes is a Chai FM community initiative. Just by the way, a quick poll over there. When a person reads a website on air, is it really necessary to say www? Surely we know that part already. Just curious. Got a thought. Maybe you can help me out on that one. Uh, knowing your COVID status does not need to be costly or take forever. At Discam Pharmacies, you can reduce the cost and anxiety of waiting for results with their rapid COVID tests. Book an antigen test which can determine if a specific virus is present currently or an antibody test, which in most, in most cases can determine whether you have had a virus or not in the recent past. Book an appointment at a Discam store near you. You do that by calling 86111 seven four two seven that's oh eight six one 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 seven four two seven discam a winning mind in a healthy body here we are on uh, fresh thinking you are with rabbi shishla we're uh, talking about moshiach something that we all hopefully care about something that maimonides the rambam said forms a foundation of judaism now like any structure if you had to undermine the foundation the entire structure could collapse well, that's how it is with Moshiach too. It is so integral into our in, in our belief system that it's probably the most common theme of all of our prayers. And for people who have issues with our relationship with Jerusalem, bear in mind that for the last 2,000 years, we have said three times a day, with the exception of Shabbos and Yontav, may Hashem return us to his city, Jerusalem. And every day, including Shabbos and Yontav, may we see the return of God to Zion. So it's very much part of our, uh, it's not just part, it is a center beam, it is a support system to the whole of Judaism. So much so that Maimonides makes the very radical statement, any person who does not believe in Moshiach, and not only that, but does not wait with anticipation for his arrival, rejects not only the prophets, but Moses and the Torah itself. That's a strong statement. That kind of should drive the message home that Moshiach is something that's not a nice to have in Jerusalem. You know, at the end of the rabbi's sermon, he says, and may we merit the coming of Moshiach speedily in our days. I always feel that the expression speedily in our days is a nice way of saying whenever it's going to happen because we don't believe that it's imminent. So it's absolutely central to the experience of being Jewish, to, to have faith in Moshiach. And as Maimonides points out, not only to have faith, but to wait with anticipation. So it should be a big part of our uh, spiritual experience. It should be a big part of our conversation as Jewish people. And that's why it should be an, an, an important question on all of our minds. Is this something in the near future, the long-term future? Is it imminent? How are we supposed to look at this? Uh, here's somebody with an unpronounceable Twitter handle says, we have seen so much suffering now, decades and even centuries ago. What is the What are the criteria for Mashiach to arrive? We have met them all, in my opinion. Now, that's really interesting when you start to talk about what are the criteria necessary in order for Mashiach to arrive and have we met them? Well, it's interesting because if you go back, what's it, like 17, 1800 years to the Talmudic period, you guess what you're going to see over there. You're going to see that the great sages of the Talmud said that all of the prerequisites that were necessary, because the, the world was designed to have to, have to meet certain uh, milestones and have to, like we as humans, had to achieve certain things. And only after that could Moshiach come. 
And the sages say, no, kolu kol hakitsin, all the things that are barriers and others, all the timelines that were necessary, all the so-called, um, what do you call them, criteria, are all um, met, done, and that was a long time ago. So no, we do not have to worry about the fact that perhaps there's a clause somewhere that has not yet been fulfilled, and as a result of that, Mashiach is indefinitely delayed. Certainly not. You know, there's a sage called Rabbi Yochanan who says in the Talmud that the whole world was created only for the purpose of Mashiach. Now, if you think of Mashiach as some kind of a glowing man who comes flying out of the sky and saves everybody, well, then it's a little bit difficult to imagine that the purpose of everything is the Mashiach. Like, what do we need a person for? Why don't we have a direct connection straight to God? But once we understand the literature and the prophecies around Mashiach, you start to put together a picture which basically amounts to this, that the Mashiach is a person who leads the world at a time. It's an epoch. It's, a, it's an era. It's a period of history. And in that period of history, one thing changes. That's the, that's the problem we all have. We think Mashiach is so impossible because a million and one things have to change. And how's that ever going to happen? How are governments ever going to become really responsible for their citizens? How are we going to stop ruining the environment? How will we get rid of illness? How are we going to stop people having faribbles and squabbles and, 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 and all the competition and jealousy that drives everybody nuts? Will there be no social media? There are a million and one things that have to get right in order to experience the Messianic period. And the truth is that's not correct. There's only one thing that has to change. Only one thing. You have to open your eyes. That's all. If a person is in a room and all of the furniture is in that room, but the lights are off, so you just don't know what's there. And if you don't know what's there, you can't appreciate it for what it is. And in fact, the very same furniture, which is an absolute gift for you to be able to relax on and eat your meals at, becomes hazardous because it's dark and you keep bumping into things and hurting yourself. And that's exactly what it is. This notion of Mashiach coming, you look at all the prophetic uh, descriptions of Mashiach, it's all about revelation. It's all about opening our eyes. It's all about becoming conscious of the truth about Hashem. And once you're conscious of the truth, you're also conscious of the truth of yourself. This is what I need in my life. So I don't have to be jealous of somebody else who has something that I thought I needed in my life. No, I, I know my truth. I don't, I don't need any of that stuff. And I know my, the, the truth of the next person. So I don't look at that person and say, whoa, that person is in a no good neck and they're such a threat to my existence. And I wish they were no longer here and whatever it is. So it's all about this great revelation, as the prophet Isaiah says, that it's going to be a time of revelation of God to the extent that the physical human eye is able to see God. Or as uh, the Maimonides paraphrases Isaiah, and he says it will be a time when knowledge of God fills the whole world like the ocean covers the seabed. Now, that's just, it's, a, it's like a single switch that has to happen. And in Judaism, that is the purpose of the whole of the world. God created a world where he hid himself. It's quite apt because we're coming up for Purim, and Purim is the, the, the festival of hidden miracles. So it fits really well with that theme of God hiding himself. But the only reason he hid himself is so that we should expose him, so that we should be able to reveal him. So we should be able to turn this world, which seems to be quite a difficult place to live, into the most magnificent, beautiful spot in the whole universe. And that includes the spiritual universes as well. So that is the purpose. The whole reason we do mitzvahs is in order to open our eyes and the eyes of the world around us to the fact that there's God. And the reason we study Torah is to open our minds to the fact that there is a God. And the reason that we pray is to help us to feel a sense of God. So everything about Judaism is oriented towards one singular goal, revelation of godliness in our reality. That's what it is. 
So it's for that reason you have all these extreme statements that, uh, you know, from original sources that say the whole purpose of Judaism is to bring Moshiach. So we've got to know, we've got to know that it's front and center of the Jewish experience. We have to know that it's not something you can kind of fob off. We have to know that it's not something we could say is a nice to have. Wouldn't it just be wonderful? Or as people always say, Halavai, we wish that Moshiach would come. We have to appreciate that it's an underpinning of our whole Judaism. And so to pray for Moshiach is a beautiful thing. This drive by these women on Sunday, this coming Sunday at 6 p.m. to pray for Moshiach, beautiful, brilliant. It's exactly where our headspace should be, especially, especially now. What do you think? Three, four, five, one, nine. And a couple of tweets, people just saying yes, yes, as in it's important. That's very nice. But tell us more. Why? Why do you think Moshiach is so important? I'd love to hear your views. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So, uh, we're, I think we're starting to get a picture over here. We're starting to get a picture that as far as Judaism is concerned, the notion, the idea, the concept of Moshiach is absolutely central. So why now? Why is there suddenly this uptick in discussion around Mashiach, the special prayer that they want us to do. I don't know. Two people have asked, what is the prayer? Is there a specific prayer to be said? It's a really interesting question. I'm not sure if they intend to share a particular text that we're supposed to use or if it's just literally in your own words, which is absolutely fine. I mean, or you could take, I suppose, a book of Tehillim and read some Tehillim or whatever it is. You know, when the Jewish people were in, when they, when they were enslaved in Egypt, I don't think they had a formalized prayer prayer that they used in order to to pray for uh for redemption because if you think about it when something is that bad and that difficult and that challenging and you're so desperate to change it you you don't need a script (laughs) nobody has to tell you use this particular formula it's got to come from the heart that's the formula i think i think that's the formula i don't even know if they are going to hand out any kind of guided text that we're supposed to be using because it's in our hearts look at what comes from the heart so why now? What's going on now? You know, I often feel that if you talk to people, it's very easy to take a concept that you find difficult to relate to and push it out. Push it out far over the event horizon of your life. So, for example, people who do not, who don't believe the creation story, that's, that's fine. It's your choice. Uh, but when a person doesn't believe the crea- creation story, what they start doing is billions of years ago, billions of years ago. That's fine. And what came before that? Well, before that, before that, you push the idea out until it's too, too far away to actually think about it. The same thing with Mashiach. Yes, of course, I believe in Mashiach speedily in our days. But I, it's like right now I have to deal with stuff for today. You know, and, and I've, I've got a plan for Purim because Purim is next week and you've got to be realistic. And after that, I've got a plan for another Pesach without the family. You know, okay, fine. So, so most people are kind of pushing Mashiach out to some kind of long term wishful thinking kind of an experience now i often think about it you know if you do that then one of two things is true either you don't really know enough about what mashiach means so for that reason it sounds way too far-fetched to be realistic and if it's too far-fetched and i'm supposed to believe in it then the easiest course is just throw it off into the wild blue yonder or we just don't know enough about what's going on in our world or both. When I say what's going on in our world, obviously, you know, we claim that we know what's going on in our world because we follow the news and we hear what's going on. 
and we actually don't know what's going on. You know, there's a particular narrative that media outlets want to push in our direction. They need ratings. They need to sell advertising. And so let's be honest. There's a good portion of news that we'll never get to hear unless we go looking for it. For example, like what's happening in the world of tech, what's happening in the world of science, what's happening in the world of medicine. We don't really get to hear that again unless you're into this kind of thing and you make sure that you're on the right mailing lists and uh, you're getting the right kind of information that will open up your ears and eyes to what's going on. Okay, that's different. But most people are just hearing more about coronavirus, more about the Zonda Commission, more about uh, the, the American politics. You know, those are the things that are basically uh, that are basically doing the rounds. So once you start looking around a little bit at what's going on in the world, it's it's actually fascinating. It's fascinating how much of what's going on in the world relates to prophecies that uh, that, that that speak to the coming of Mashiach. I mean, here's one. Okay, here's here's a headline that just popped onto the radar this week. Okay, it was in the Jerusalem Post. Sorry, not this week. Uh, it must be two weeks ago. This was in the Jerusalem Post on the 28th of January, right? So one of the big things that we're always told about the time of Moshiach is an end to illness. That's what we're always told. And as a result of that, there's this longevity and eventually people living forever. So the, the Bible talks about the idea of a young person dying at 100 years old. I actually read an article two weeks ago by a guy, a medical guy, not here, overseas. And he was saying that it's possible in his mind, it's possible that his granddaughter will live to, to a thousand years old. I'm like, whoa, what? You're a man of science and you're talking that way? Apparently, apparently that's exactly what's happening, that people of science are talking in a different way. So here's, the, uh, here's this one um, from the Jerusalem Post. It says, Israeli scientists claim that they have found the quote-unquote Achilles heel of cancer cells. And that's like a fascinating concept, right? And there's a whole article about it, obviously. A guy called uh, Dr. Uri Ben David. Fascinating concept, right? Fascinating concept. That that basically means like, if you can get to the source, because that's how Judaism teaches us. If you get to the source of a problem, then you no longer have to cure the problem. You no longer have to treat the problem. because you, And you don't even have to cure the problem because you have the opportunity to stymie the problem in the first place. Now, that's just one of, I don't know how many examples that are that exists in the world today of this incredible movement in terms of curing people now it's interesting because 30 years ago i'm sure many of you remember 30 years ago this month in fact it's coming up the hebrew anniversary is next week friday and the english anniversary will be on the following sunday so 30 years ago was this month the end of the gulf war a ceasefire actually happened on purim so for those of us who remember it, I mean, it was quite a thing, obviously, to go through. And there was a lot of concern about Israel and Saddam Hussein threatening to shoot Scud missiles, which he did. And there was the fear of chemical warheads, which he did not. And uh, thank God, miraculously, you know, he, he didn't succeed in killing people with his Scud missiles, 39 Scud missiles that fell on densely populated areas in the Tel Aviv-Ramat Gan area. So at that time, the, our Rebbe spoke a lot about, you know, these are messianic things. What's happening in the world today are messianic. But he used an expression which is quite important. He said that you get me'en dugma v'hachona, which means that there are certain events that happen in the world that are a taste. They're happening, happening to us now so we can taste what life is going to be like when Moshiach comes. Like the famed Kabbalist Arizal used to say, there's a mitzvah on Friday to taste some of the Shabbos food. And likewise, when you get to the Friday of history, which is basically when you get into the sixth millennium, you're towards the end of that millennium, you get to taste the experiences of Moshiach, which is considered the grand Shabbos. 
So some of the events that are happening in our world today are intended to be a taste of the time of Mashiach. So these incredible um, advances in medicine would be a taste. It's like a taste of, of, of what's going to happen. Some of them are dogma. Some of them are an example of what life is going to be in the time of Moshiach. So it's not going to be exactly like this. It's just an example. So, for example, here's one. Um, I was just thinking about autonomous cars. You know, they say with autonomous cars, the amount of road accidents in the world reduces from 10 million an hour, I think it was. No, that can't be. I think it's 10 million a day. I don't know. It reduces down to less than 100,000. So the risk to living as a human being, you know, people always tell you it's more dangerous to get on the road than it is to ride a roller coaster or get in a plane or whatever it is. So that's going to change. That's dogma. That's an example. I wouldn't call that messianic. That's tech. But it's an example of the fact that the world will become a safer place. The world will become an environment where you have fewer threats in your life. And then he says some of them are hachana. Some of these things are just preparing us for the messianic age. So, for example, these major upheavals in the world are there to prepare us for the messianic age. At that time, he was talking about the Gulf War in um, in Iraq and Kuwait. And the miracles that were associated with it was just to wake people up and to recognize, hey, hang on a second, you know, God actually does run the world. And it feels like coronavirus is another one of those wake-ups. It's not nearly as exciting or positive because there you saw open miracles. And now we're just seeing like we don't know what's going on. And every time we think that we've got a solution, there's a new variant or whatever the case is. But certainly it's achana. It's preparing us. It's preparing us for Again, what's the goal and purpose of Mashiach? Awareness of the fact that God is one. Awareness of the fact that God runs the world. And right now what's happening, even though it's happening in a negative way, it's a reminder we, we really are not in control. Like we thought we had this. We thought we knew how to run a world. We thought we were tackling the biggest problems like climate change and regional conflict. And we totally did not see this coming. And we totally don't yet know our way out of it. And even when we roll out vaccinations, we're not 100% convinced that that's going to be the, the golden, the silver bullet. And Israel's already said that because we can't vaccinate children, you can't get herd immunity. Achon, preparation for a world where you recognize that you're not in control. And then eventually you recognize that who is in control is actually the best one to be in control. Back in a sec. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So just in other news, by the way, 26th of January, 2021. Uh, trying to actually see where this came from originally. Anyhow, they say that the first commercial 3D printed house is now on sale for $300,000. So there you go. I guess like everything else, Moore's Law, once we get the, the price down, that's how it's going to happen. Houses for everybody. Hachana. Preparation for the time of Moshiach. I think that's really where we have to get our heads, actually, to be honest. You know, we are so inundated with what the media has to tell us. And what the media has to tell us about not just what's going on in the world, but what will go on. Where we are headed. They're constantly telling us where we are headed. What's going to happen. These are the trends. This is what you can expect. This is what's happening with greenhouse gases. This is what's happening. As Jewish people, if there's one thing that has made Jews Jewish, it's the fact that we go against the grain. The very first Jew was called Ivri. Ivri means he was from the other side. The other side of the river. Everybody swam downstream and he insisted on swimming upstream. That was Abraham. That was Abraham, our forefather. And that's what defines being Jewish. We are not into groupthink. We are not sheeple. We are not supposed to just say, oh, the media said that life is going to get worse. It's going to get worse. We have a strong, well-founded faith system. 
And it tells us that the world that Hashem created originally was supposed to be a beautiful place, a place of divine revelation, where God speaks to you like he spoke to Adam and Eve, and where it's very clear what you should be doing with your life and what you should not be doing with your life. All of that confusion and anxiety that it breeds in our world today is only a function of the fact that we're not living in that garden. But the goal is to get us back. The goal is to get us back to that garden. It's a fundamental belief of the Jewish nation. When we look around at our world and we discover that for the first time in the history of the world, we have uh, labs, we have organizations, we have factories that take technology that was originally invented with sole purpose of destruction, of destruction of humanity, like nuclear energy, like satellites that were originally, obviously, for the purpose of spying, like the Internet that was the, uh, based on the concept of this rapid defense system network that could get messages across the United States should Russia ever launch a nuclear strike against them. Like the idea of the so-called cyber knife that is precision radiation therapy based on the technology that was used in the Gulf War for precision bombing. And you suddenly think, hang on a second, you know, in history there's always been war and in history there have always been those who seek peace. But in history there's never been the possibility of taking weaponry and turning it into things that are to the benefit of humanity. And then you think about Isaiah's prophecy that says, they will beat their swords into plowshares. Ironically, that's a line that sits in multiple languages on the Isaiah wall at the United Nations, who, by the way, 29 years ago, just uh, this week, ratified the first nuclear non-proliferation treaty with exactly that concept in mind, that we've got to scale down on weapons and start pursuing peace and not just that, but using the tech of war to become the tech of saving lives. There are millions of examples. I think we owe it to ourselves, actually, to learn what's going on in our world. If you think Mashiach is this big flash bomb that happens one day out of the sky, he comes with his red cape and he rescues us all, then, well, we don't really understand what it is. But if you appreciate that it's an unfolding at a rapid rate, so rapid on the one hand and so natural on the other that you don't feel the bump until one day you turn around and say, wow, this world is incredible, well, then you'll realize that that's actually what we're living through right now. And if that's the case, we really should tune in 6 p.m. this Sunday and daven for one minute for the coming of Moshiach, that it should happen, please God, right now. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Stay safe. Stay sane. Moshiach now. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.